This is the First Gen Pilot Podcast, episode 21, coming right up. What's going on, aviators? My name is Abraham, and I am your host. Today's episode, we have Demar Walker. You might know him as DLX Pilot on social media. Today's episode, we talk about what his journey was like getting into aviation and becoming a pilot. We also talk about what his transition was like from military to civilian side of flying. With that, we also talk about a lot of tips to help people who are currently in aviation or people who want to pursue this dream. And aviators, I've put an Amazon link together with all pilot gear that you can think of. Flight simulators, headsets, knee pad, anything that you can think of that a pilot needs, I have it on this link. Make sure you check it out down in the show notes of this podcast or on my page at First Gen Pilot on Instagram. And aviators, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review and follow this podcast on any of the platforms that you listen to on. And enough of keeping you waiting. Without further ado, here's Damar Walker. So my name's uh, Damar Walker, and I'm uh, Airbus A320 captain for a major airline in Canada. Hey, Damar, welcome on the First Gen Pilot Podcast, and I really appreciate you being here today, man. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely, man. All right, we'll kind of hop on this right away. And uh, first question I'd like to ask is, how did you get into aviation? You know what? It's just, it's a lifelong evolution for me. It's something that just naturally came because I migrated from Jamaica when I was three years old with my family. And back then you could actually go into a flight deck of an aircraft while I was flying. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, the typical story went up front saw the buttons and gauges and dials back then it wasn't all this fancy glass that we have now so it just was mesmerizing i was in a 747 um they had uh three crew members up there and i just remember they were in clouds and looking outside i didn't even know where we were what we're doing but they had all this all these gauges and switches and they're just making this machine this magical machine work and i'm like (laughs) i'm sold i gotta do this um, and then that was just fueled by my dad, who's an aviation enthusiast. We used to go to the airport and watch airplanes take off and land. We used to go to air shows every year. So it was just kind of the, the seed was planted and then it was just watered throughout my whole life with, with, my, with my dad and his uh, passion for uh, aviation. So just something that happened naturally as a result. Yeah, definitely. So uh, coming into this aviation thing, did you have anybody that was already doing this or uh, was it just you being the first person? In within my family, no, there was no one that that flew. Um, my my dad, uh, he by trade, he was a mechanic to start. He's he's now a minister of uh, religion. He's actually a, he's a pastor for a big church uh, in uh, Mississauga, Ontario. Um, okay. But uh he was mechanically inclined when he was growing up and he got into some of that stuff. But his real dream was to become a helicopter pilot. And uh, I guess that just never worked out for him, you know, with the Caribbean. It's it's different. The opportunities are, are different and the paths are different. So it just never worked out for him. But that passion for aviation was always there and it translated to us going to the airport and air shows and, and whatnot. So his passion for aviation rubbed off on me but no one was in aviation per se that uh, i was following on uh, growing up yeah definitely that kind of builds up on on itself you know giving you that passion for yourself to go and do it yourself yeah exactly exactly so yeah his passion became my passion uh just Mm -hmm. from you know being exposed to it 
Yeah, definitely. All right. And then uh, talk to us about your training. Um, how's, how did you go by that? So for me, I, I started out uh, when, when I was 15 years old, um, mm-hmm. I saw these commercials. So I've always wanted to do aviation, but I saw these commercials on, on TV, um, 1-800-BE-A-PILOT. And um, I was like, you know what? Like, I've always wanted to do this. I was kind of thinking maybe later on when I'm going to do my, my studies, like post-secondary, that I would actually take up flying training. But mm-hmm. let me go and see if this is something that I really want to do. So I called that number. And uh, they were linked to different flight schools and so happened in Toronto, uh, which is where I was living at the time. They had a base out of uh, the island airport. The names of the schools have changed over time, but uh, they had a base out of there. And yeah, I called them, set up a, a lesson for discovery flight and went up on a discovery flight out of the island airport in Toronto at the age of 15. It's the first time I was at the controls of an aircraft and yeah, it just, it sealed the deal. I was like, yeah, this is something I'm definitely going to do. I, I had some interest in the air cadets, uh, never pursued it. Um, mm-hmm. So after that, it was just, okay, how am I going to make this happen? Um, went to the University of Western Ontario, which is now called Western University, and okay. um, went there, did my degree, but they had an aviation program there as well. And that's where the training started and I did my first two years as a pure civilian Mm -hmm. and then later on I became part of the uh, military so the Air Force and the ROTP regular officer training uh, plan program and uh, I continued my training at Western uh, getting all my civilian licensing and ratings Uh, Mm -hmm. they paid for that training uh, from when I enrolled and they also backdated some of the flight training pay as well which was great and then when I left the, when I graduated from university and uh, went on to the military, then I did their flying training uh, to get my, my wings. So kind of a hybrid uh, way of, of doing things, starting mm-hmm. out paying for it on, on my own and with my, with my parents, and then eventually having uh, the military uh, via the Air Force and their scholarship program pay for the rest of the training. Yeah, definitely. You, you always want to utilize any payments that you can get, especially with flight training, Absolutely. since it's super expensive, as we know. Very expensive. And I mean, that was back in 2007 was when I graduated. Mm-hmm. And back then, total cost for everything uh, was around 60-ish thousand. Um, okay. But now, for someone in 2024, uh, in Canadian dollars, we're, we're looking at about 120 or more. Uh, to get that. Yeah. And that's if you're you're going through fairly efficient, you know, getting mm-hmm. through the process fairly efficiently. So it's an expensive yeah. ordeal. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. All right. So like in Canada, so is it, uh, what is it like for someone to get into aviation? Is it pretty normal or like to general aviation uh, life? What is it like? It, very similar to the States. Um, okay. I mean, we have just different rules, different governing bodies, but overall very, mm-hmm. very similar. We have a, okay. a robust uh, GA community. Uh, we definitely don't have as many airports as they do in the States. But, uh, okay. but yeah, there is there is a, a lot of GA that, that goes on, on here. And uh, it's just if you want to become a pilot, you can either go get the training done yourself through a local flight school. You can go to mm-hmm. a college program and get that done. Or you can go to okay. a university program. They have a few university programs here. Or like myself, you can also do that in conjunction with the, the military. 
Yeah, definitely. All right. And then, uh, so talk to us about once you got your flight training done and uh, through with the military. So did you flight instruct or when was that, that first job that you got with flying? Yeah, so my first job was actually with the uh, with the Air Force, and uh, I was selected to fly multi-engine transport aircraft. So I started sure. out on the King Air uh, 200 uh, with the Collins uh, Pro flight deck, which was mm -hmm. a sweet deal. It was a nice uh, step up. Like I, I mean, I've always flown somewhat glass or semi-glass aircraft, but this was like the pinnacle at the time of uh, yeah. glass uh, instrument uh, aircraft that I flew. And so I did that for a few months. I got close to, I want to say around a hundred hours or so on that machine. And then I transitioned over to the C-130J uh, Hercules, which was my main bird uh, for the rest of my career. Um, okay. I became a combat ready first officer on that. Then transitioned mm -hmm. to becoming a combat uh, ready aircraft commander, which is the same as saying uh, aircraft captain on the civilian side. Yep. And then the transition after that was uh, to become a, an instructor. So I, I finished up on the C-130J uh, as an instructor in the military prior to my retirement in 2017. Oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And then um, so when was that transition from like the military flying to the airlines then? So around uh, 2017 was when the transition happened. But okay. even when I was in the forces, although it was a great job and it was a lot of great flying. I always had airline aspirations. So throughout the progress of my military career, I was mm -hmm. always thinking in the back, back of my mind, how am I going to make this transition? So in 2014, when I had close to the all the requirements for my airline transport pilot's license, I wrote mm -hmm. the remaining exams because I've already wrote my instrument rating exam when I did that instrument rating back in uh, 2007. So I just had yep. to write the other uh, ATP, is what you guys call it. We call it ATPL, same mm -hmm. thing. Uh, yep. Just write the other exams. And then I got all my hours and then got that signed off. So I had my ATPL prior to leaving the military. And then in 2017, I made the full transition over to uh, the civilian side. Uh, the dream was to get to uh, Air Canada uh, right away. But mm -hmm. uh, I... I couldn't get there because I was short about 50 hours from their requirements. So I left the military and went to fly regionally, did about 400 hours regionally, and then uh, reapplied and got into uh, my current job where I am at now. Yeah, definitely. And then also from the flying from the military, uh, what was that transition like? Um, was it easy to adjust to that airline and like regional flying or um, what was that like? It was a transition and um, it, it was overall, I would say it was easy. It, it was different in the sense that the, the, in the military, we have CRM, but it's called HPMA. So it's just different lingo to kind of get used to what they wanted from a civilian perspective. Uh, yeah. I was used to a crew environment, but just needed to adapt that to the civilian crew environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then their use of SOPs were different than us. Like we had standard operating procedures, but they were more broad because we had so many different mission roles that we did mm -hmm. in the military. So some of our SOPs were specific guidelines to operate the aircraft within its set limitations, but they weren't as rote as the airlines were literally how you set up the aircraft, how you program the aircraft, how you talk mm -hmm. to each other is very standardized. So that yeah. was a bit of an adjustment. And then just some of the other rules with relating, relating to 
uh, instrument flight rules, like approach bands and when you can continue approach and stuff like that. Whereas in the yeah. military, we didn't have any of those rules. We could fly, continue on any approach and just just different yeah. different things like that. So ad- adapting to their way of flying yep. and communicating. Yeah, definitely. I bet they have different flying techniques, especially if you have hundreds of people behind you now instead of Absolutely. just maybe a few with cargo, maybe. But yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so it was an adjustment. But I mean, I had from my military training, I had all the tools to be successful uh, in in the airline world. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't that just had to put in the work to, to make the transition. All right. Yeah. And then, uh, so have you had any scary experiences throughout your uh, flying career? Um, I think if you fly long enough, I think everybody <laughs> will scare themselves at some point in time. I've, I've had my, uh, I've had a few instances where, you know, I've, I've learned from, and I would say quote unquote, uh, scared myself. Um, yep. I remember us doing a military mission where we're doing a Canada day, uh, flyby, but the weather wasn't the greatest. Uh, we planned for it extensively, so we had our legs all planned out. We had what we call MSAs, so minimum safe altitudes, uh, mapped out for our entire route. And then mm-hmm. we also had what we called an ESA emergency safe altitude, which is just like the the entire route, regardless of what leg you're on. This is the safe altitude that keeps you safe wherever. Um, mm-hmm. And the weather wasn't the greatest. We kept it legal uh, VFR, but we okay. did end up at one point in our leg getting into some cloud. And that was a little bit scary because it's for real. So we had to climb up to our uh, MSA and then further up to our ESA just to keep things super safe and Mm -hmm. then uh, get on with uh, air traffic control and then get a a clearance to get a cloud break and then continue with the the mission. So, so yeah, it's, uh, I mean, through the course of that, you just put things in your toolbox, right? As you fly yeah. and you gain experience, you do certain things. You're like, mm, didn't really like how that went. Let me put this in my toolbox so I do it differently and better next time. So, But I think that's just natural progression. And as long as you keep safety at the top of mind, then it's it's a good learning experience to to kind of see how you can manage certain situations. Yeah, definitely. It's all that flight training comes into play that, you know, all the emergencies that you ran or or all the emergency practices that you do. Now you get to put them to good use. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And then also, if you were to go back and do things differently, what would you do the same and what would you do different? Okay. Wow. This is a big question. So, (laughs) you know what? Everyone, the cliche thing to say is I wouldn't do anything differently because what I did led me to where I am and, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how things turned out, but yep. in all honesty, if I could go back uh, and tell my younger uh, self something, it would be to savor every moment of flight training. And I see this um, a lot with a lot of new students um, and people that reach out to me on my Instagram. And the, the main theme is how do I get to the airlines in my dream job the fastest, right? And Yep. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the best. Sometimes you do mm-hmm. want to get to your dream job um, because that's your passion. That's what you desire to do. But I say, enjoy the journey. And if I could tell myself, my younger self that to just take, take a deep breath, um, you know, smell the roses, look outside, enjoy the view. Uh, don't be so caught up in terms of, you know, I want to get to the airlines. I want to be an airline captain. 
that you forget to enjoy this incredible gift of flight that you get to do as a career. So just enjoy Mm -hmm. that journey and the experiences that come uh, with that journey. That's what I, that's what I do differently. Yeah, definitely. As a student pilot, definitely you get to that point where you're like, let me get there. And you're trying to rush and finish everything, you know, and start flying those big jets, shiny jets. Yeah. But exactly. uh, I've, I've heard, I've heard a ton of people say they rather just, they would just rather enjoy the journey more. And uh, like you said here too, and uh, it's, it's definitely enjoying that journey is what makes it happy in the end. Absolutely. And I mean, at, the more you can bring, to the table to your airline job from experiences that you've had flying smaller aircraft in, mm-hmm. you know, less uh, controlled environments, that's going to be worth its weight in gold because you're going to be able to draw on a lot more experiences and it's going to ultimately make you a better, better pilot. And you'll come to realize that, you know, you take it for granted being able to fly a Cessna or, you know, Piper around. Yeah. Just no IFR going around VFR and just enjoying the view and just enjoying aviation purely for what it's worth. So yeah, I'd say enjoy each step. It's definitely worth enjoying. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right. And then, uh, so have you had some failures uh, throughout your aviation career and have they affected you in any way? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I had a hard time in, um, with my navigation phase in the, in the military, just cause it was such a condensed portion of flying training. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's all flown low level at high speed. And I didn't have a lot of continuity with it because of the the rules dealing with when we could go flying and the wind limits and everything. So for something that was supposed to take, I think it was like seven flights and supposed to be done in like two weeks, it took me a few more flights and like four months. So um, it was stretched out. So you do one lesson and then you don't get to really, you know, pick up on it the next lesson because it's so far apart. So I struggled mm-hmm. with low-level navigation in the military. Um, and I also hated being tested. I don't know if, you know, student pilots may experience that, especially early on in your career where flight tests are this big, scary thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. you struggle with something. And then on top of that, you don't like flight tests. Um, it doesn't put together for the best recipe for uh, success and uh, with my low-level navigation, this was really a, a stress point in, in my career where I had to really dig deep and to mm-hmm. tell myself, give myself the confidence that this is something that I was able to do and to just push through even though I was having uh, a difficult time and the circumstances surrounding that uh, weren't, uh, weren't the best. It, uh, it's something that I'm passionate about sharing because I don't want people to look at me now and be like, hey, look at this guy. He's successful. He's a captain living living the dream, flying at an airline and enjoying it and thinking that my journey was spotless and, you know, I had an easy road. No, I had challenges, yeah. especially with that part of my career. But the, the good thing <laughs> with it is that I was able to acknowledge that I was having a problem, um, mm-hmm. seek the help that I needed to get through that and to overcome that situation. And I think sometimes for people in flight training, it gets to that point where maybe you have a failure or you meet difficulty. And the easiest thing to do is to give up. But to anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you've had a failure or you're having any difficulty, that doesn't define you and that doesn't mark the end of your journey. Just 
be honest with yourself, fix what's wrong and uh, persevere through it and get through it because there's still a beautiful career that's possible on the other side of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with flight trains, there's so much hardship that comes with it, you know? Yeah. Um, look, uh, moving on to the the question, next question here, like um, being motivated is um, a big thing when it comes to flight training. You got to have that thing that keeps you going, have that thing that the, the mindset that you had when you first started and what you yeah. were thinking, you know, keeping that with you. Um, so leading to my next question here, what kept you motivated throughout your flight training? Part of the thing that I said where, you know, you have to stop and smell the roses and enjoy it. Um, yep. But uh, the part that made me not enjoy it was the desire to become that airline pilot. Um, so in on one end, it didn't allow me to stop and smell the roses, but it, it kept pushing me to get to the next thing and to, to persevere through the difficult uh, times that, you know, sometimes we all face as, as, mm -hmm. uh, as students. Um, the end goal, the end goal keeps you motivated for having that end goal for yourself as well, not the goal that someone else wants for you. So, um, but I will also say though, um, to anyone that's listening to this, some days you're, to be honest, you're, you're not going to be motivated. Um, mm -hmm. some days you're going to be like, I don't want to read the aviation regulations. I don't want to learn the IFR instrument rules. I don't want to learn this system. Um, so on and so forth. But even when you're not motivated, you just have to be disciplined, if that, that makes sense. Um, yep. Because motivation is not going to be there all the time. No. Motivation is is fleeting. It, it comes and goes. You know, you watch yeah. this amazing video on Instagram and you're like, I can climb this mountain. You start climbing that mountain. You're like, man, this is hard. <laughs> um, and then you want to stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you have to have the discipline when you're not motivated to keep climbing, mm -hmm. even when you're tired and even when you don't want to. So that's what I would say. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. All right. And then also with your end goal with end goal with flying, um, what do you see yourself in the end? Right now you're a big, big airline captain. And uh, so what do you see yeah. yourself in the future? You know what? Um, I, I really like dealing with people as they're coming up in, in their journey. So I think natural transition for me is to move into uh, training or mentorship type role um, mm -hmm. to have more hands on with people who are new to the aircraft or new to the uh, airline. So I can, you know, try to help them understand the aircraft and also to kind of give them some of my viewpoints on, on certain things and hopefully make them better, uh, make them better aviators, but also to take in from them as well. Cause um, sometimes when you're at a certain point in your career, there's certain things that, that you forget. So it'd be yeah. nice to, to learn from some of these uh, students coming in and just to feed off of some of their, their new excited uh, energy. So I think I'll transition into training um, and then maybe from training potentially into checking mm -hmm. and then see, see where that goes from there. I think ultimately, like most, I want to be a captain on the biggest aircraft that we have in our fleet. Um, hopefully that is a big Airbus, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, otherwise, then I have to fly a big Boeing. And I mean, I'll fly, I'll fly anything. Don't get me wrong, but I'm yeah. biased to Airbus, which is weird because <laughs> when I started flying, I was a Boeing or not going, but once you yeah. fly that Airbus, man, it's hard. It's hard to like <laughs> anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's very spacious in there. 
it's just honestly learning that airplane is is not the easiest and uh it is not as intuitive to learn and you're like what is the hype about but (laughs) once you learn it and it clicks it just makes Mm -hmm. so much sense and you're like why isn't every airplane like this so yeah um yeah i think the goal is to fly a big airbus if not i'll fly a big boeing but i would love to be a captain on the biggest airplane the airline has and hopefully in a training checking role would be would be the ultimate for now but we'll see we'll see how things evolve the beautiful thing about the airlines is um especially when you have such a vast fleet is uh and and just so many different departments it's there's so many opportunities so Mm -hmm. you know you can kind of design your own uh i guess your 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 own destination and you know your own journey your own pathway just based on uh the different options that are available yeah, definitely. I agree. All right. And then, uh, so one tip that you have for someone who's getting into aviation and, uh, or someone who's already pursuing the dream, um, I know we've talked about a bunch of tips and uh, throughout the, yeah. uh, the podcast, but what's that one tip that you have for that one person? You know what? Um, good thing you asked that question. Cause, uh, I think this one is key and I think some people forget it when people reach out to me on Instagram. I know a lot of them are eager, um, and they have a lot of questions, but the, the, the thing is, I would love anyone getting into any field, take some time to research the field, figure out, you know, kind of the viewpoints and the different avenues that you can you can take in, in the field and maybe learn a little bit about the licensing and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. come and ask your questions, because I find a lot of people, I'm like their first stop, how do I become a pilot? And I get it. It's it's it's. You know, it's it's tempting when someone who's a pilot, who's flying, who's motivated you is right there. It's easy to be like, mm-hmm. how, reach out to them and say, how do I do what you're doing? And that's fair. But I think if you don't have any background information, you can be so easily led astray and you don't really have a guideline to what the end goal or end result is. And you can end up wasting a lot of time because everybody has advice and uh, yeah. everybody has their viewpoint and sometimes that viewpoint or advice is going to lead you in the wrong direction and it's going to let allow you to waste a lot of money and a lot of time so if you just take some time do some research figure out the basics and the fundamentals and then ask your advice to tweak and you know add some corrections to to that i think that's a better uh, way to go about your flying career and it will it will prove uh, worth its weight in gold later on as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you mentioned, like being a pilot, it all comes down to being, you know, like you got to do all the research by yourself, you know, and yeah. asking the right questions is what's going to help you out. I mean, you can't just come in and ask what is the, like, how do I get, how do I get to where you are? You know, it's more exactly. of like, Hey, what flight school can I go to? Or exactly. Or, I'm know, looking at part six to one part one forty one. which one should I go to? You know, so things absolutely. like those is what we can answer. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the difference. And I, I find the ones that I can tell the ones that come in armed, researched and ready. And mm-hmm. it's so, it's so refreshing because I can then kind of add tidbits of advice, which is advice, right? Like I'm not giving you gospel. It's, it's just feeding you yep. information to help you make a decision. Right? Cause ultimately I can't say do A or B. And yep. uh, it's so refreshing dealing with people who have some background an understanding mm-hmm. of the industry, but just doing a little bit of research. And uh, that way I'm able to kind of 
lead them in a direction. And uh, if, if that direction's fitting for them, then they're able to make a, a solid decision on that vice, just trying to explain everything at once and uh, yeah. where people have absolutely no idea. And it's, it's, it's much more difficult that way. Yeah, definitely. YouTube is a big key uh, resource out there. I mean, there's there's a ton of videos you can watch out there that will actually bring you to the next step of asking the right questions to the right people. Yeah, and there's that's the thing. Like when I when I was uh, growing up, there wasn't that many resources, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and I was still, and I'm not saying we're all different, right? I'm not saying mm-hmm. I did it so you could do it. Um, but I did it with very limited resources. If I lived in this day and age with all these resources, it's like, wow, I mean, there's so much information you can get before you even ask your first question. So just take some time and do a little bit of research and it will prove uh, worth its weight in gold uh, in your career for sure. Yep. Yeah, definitely. All right. And then so we can end this with a would you rather game. So I'll give you a couple options and you pick one from that. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So the first one is, would you rather fly general aviation or commercial? Man, this is a trick question. Um, <laughs> can I pick both? <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to pick one. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know what? Uh, I would rather fly general aviation. <laughs> it's definitely a tough one. <laughs> yeah. It's tough because I, I picked GA because it's pure raw flying. Like it's, it's yeah. just... It's flying. You know, you go out, you fly, you can have fun with the airplane. Um, Mm -hmm. Commercial aviation, I love my job. I love what I do. But it's it's work, right? It's it's dealing with, you know, maintenance issues and MELs and mitigating and passengers and being on time and all these different things. It it is work, whereas GA Mm -hmm. is just flying for what it is. It's just fun. So Yeah, pure fun. (laughs) Pure fun. Yep. All right. Uh, so the next one is, would you rather fly over beaches or mountains? Oh, mountains for sure. Over mountains. Okay. The view over mountains is just yeah. breathtaking. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I bet. All right. And then, so would you rather fly high wing or low wing? Man, I just saw, here's the thing. And this is, this is tough. Okay. Uh, high wing for the ability to have these unencumbered views Mm-hmm. but lowing for the cool factor and the speed. Yeah, I can see that yeah. definitely, yeah. Yeah, because that, <laughs> SR, that SR22, if, if Cirrus is listening to this uh, podcast, <laughs> that, that SR22 looks looks amazing. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful aircraft, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then, so would you rather fly Airbus or Boeing? You probably answered Come on. this already. <laughs> Come on. No question. No question. Yeah. Air, Airbus all day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely. Airbus all day. Unless it's a 747. I think regardless of what you like, if, you, yeah. if you're if you a true aviation enthusiast, Airbus or Boeing, everybody loves the 747. So. I agree. Yeah. 747 is my favorite aircraft. Yeah. Uh, but I, I hope. I don't think I'm I'm gonna be fortunate enough to fly them because they're taking them out of the game. So but I know. we'll see. I know. It's just crazy because we grew up yeah. loving those airplanes and they're all coming six, seven, five, seven, four, seven. New they're ones all, that we don't even care about. <laughs> yeah, they're all being coming out of service, which is unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. All right, last one. Would you rather fly IFR or VFR? VFR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. VFR. And enjoy enjoy the views. Um 
enjoy the views and just the scenery and just being able to take flying in, you know, for, for what mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. I think the best way to enjoy flying for the gift that it is, is through VFR flying. I agree. Yeah. That's, you got all the views. That's what you're going up for flying. You want to see outside yeah. and enjoy the views. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on and helping a few and answering these great, great questions. No problem. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. All right. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and found it beneficial. If you have any questions for tomorrow, make sure you check out his Instagram at DLX underscore pilot. He'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions. Also, don't forget to leave a review and follow this podcast on any of the platforms that you listen to this on. Until next time, keep the blue side up. We'll see you.